there is a light that will never go how are you doing it's the limehouse ruddy bloody podcast isn't it um gosh how i mean how are you seriously because i i wonder i worry because of the weather at the moment whether or not you've built yourself an ark and you're floating away somewhere on it and if you have built an ark well done because that's that's a lot of that's a lot of effort, isn't it? This week, Michael Bradley, flipping bloody Nora from The Undertones, bass player from The Undertones, who um, has written a wonderful book, um, Teenage Kicks, My Life as an Undertone, well worth a goddamn read. I'll tell you why I read it, and it's hilarious. And it's also very poignant. It gives you a really good insight into what it was to, to be a band at the height of the Troubles um, in Northern Ireland. And also... Um, uh, j- just a great tale of boys in bat in, in a band because that's what they were the undertones they were a very 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 small band to start out with tiny and practicing in, in little garages and shit and it's so great this book gives you such a, a tangible feeling of what it was like to be in a, a punk band fuck it doesn't really matter where in the world but because so much of punk was DIY and just a last, you know, like sellotape and gaffer tape and broken snares and, and and fucking sweat, blood and tears. And I love that. And this book brings all of that alive and also talks about some of the great songs that they've they've written over the years. Um, you know, obviously, Teenage Kicks, My Perfect Cousin, um, Here, uh, Here Comes the Summer, which is one of the greatest songs ever written, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, Michael was a really lovely guy. I had this conversation back in the winter, or the back end of winter. I, I haven't put this out. I wanted to... I don't know why, really. I think I just wanted to keep it on the back burner, you know? I wanted to keep it on the back burner, uh, and just a really good conversation to have as like a, a little a trump card, because it's such a it's such a good, good chat. So, yeah, just a, a few more minutes of me talking here. Probably just two more, two more minutes, because I don't want... You, you don't want some rambling guy, do you? You don't want some guy that you've never met before talking to you, and you, you don't know if you like them yet. So this is the part of the show where you have to win people over, you know, the intro, so they'll come back. Well, don't come back, all right? Okay? Because I'll only let you down, and I'll probably give you syphilis, all right? Although I'm... Um, Technically speaking, the syphilis is on the way out, and I'm a bit more worried about something else. It's like a, a skin disease that's coming out of my knee. Whew, Jesus. This is what coffee does. Uh, really strong coffee and no sleep. That's what, that, that's what this is. I, am, I feel like having children, a nine-month-old and a and three-month-old, this is the absolute coalface of hard of difficult. I'm reading a book at the moment about Ranulph Fiennes, like walking across Antarctica. It's great. It's wonderful. That's hard. You know, your skin falling off your face and the end of your penis or whatever, that's difficult. But, you know, this isn't super difficult, but sleep deprivation is a motherfucker. You know, it really, really is. It's, It's horrendous. It eats into the core of who you are. But if you are struggling with sleep and... And I don't know, just keeping your head together and you want a distraction, which I always find very fucking useful, distraction, um, <laughs> would, would be another episode of the Lime Mouse podcast. I had a really good chat with a guy called Michael Palin. A guy called Michael Palin. Who says that? Michael Palin, the, 
the the national treasure doesn't need an introduction but there you go i've given it to you i had a conversation with him about his book hms erebus it's a story about a ship it's wonderful really really great chat so you'll enjoy that but a good companion to this conversation would be fergal sharkey i had a great chat with fergal sharkey about what his invested interest in uh, in rivers uh, and uh, freshwater pollution of this this country but also of course uh, the undertones and his own solo career so michael bradley this week this episode of the undertones and then fergal sharkey frontman of the undertones also available on this podcast the limehouse podcast can you believe it in your face right now just everywhere on your face under your eyelids in your hair if the limehouse podcast was a shampoo it would be a shitty crappy little shampoo 47p but somehow manages to do an all right job and then you keep going back knowing it's shitty and cheap but you keep going back okay shitty little shampoo that's the limehouse podcast look after yourselves guys and Michael Bradley is a very sweet man. You'll love this podcast. Chat with him. Here comes the summer, my perfect cousin. Teenage kids, right now, not later. Let's talk about your face and your bass guitar, yeah. your your skills um, or lack of I, skills in the early days of the undertones. Let's face it, because I've read your and, book. Lack, and arguably lack of skill now. I, I can do <laughs> enough. I can do enough to get by. Yeah, yeah, which is all anybody wants, really. I mean, that's all I want. All the, it's all the bands yeah. of the noughties and all that early noughties when I was get, getting into going up to gigs and what have you. If you, if you, in fact, if you could play more than like five chords on a, on a guitar, you, you, well, what are you doing? Overqualified. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so like, oh God, it's such a brilliant book. I love it. I've, um, oh, thank you very much. I, it's, it, yeah, I'm annoyed that it's taken me this long to get, get to it. I heard, I, heard, I heard Mark Riley talking about it on his sixth show. and um, Really? I, my, yeah, yeah. The, I don't know. Uh, you sure maybe, it was the same book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was talking about it, and I didn't know that. I think it was in reference to Pete Shelley. I think he was talking about Pete Shelley. I think because you speak about him a wee bit, don't you? Yeah, that's very yeah. good. <laughs> and um, he lo- he really he was like singing its praises, and I was like, okay, I'm, I, I first of all, how have I not heard of this? I'm a pretty big <laughs> Undertones fan, and very um, selective. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and it just it it delivers, man. I I think the oh, first, it's how do you because the style is so you. I mean, obviously, I don't know you, but it it seems incredibly uh, natural. When how did how long did it take? And this is a stupid question, but go with it. How long did how it long take, did it to, take to, to write? To well, no, to devise yeah. the, the the tone, the the kind of the the accent of the book, as it were. Oh, that's a good question. It just came, to be honest, it, it sounds terrible, terrible answer, but it did come kind of naturally to me. I would um, I would do a bit of writing for sleeve notes for undertones compilations, which come out on a regular basis. 
And I would have sort of written some, you know, some of the occasional little bits and pieces for the band back in the day. And also maybe I, I, I'm a terrible, I have a terrible fear of the cliche, you know, yeah. uh, like the old joke, you know, avoid, avoid cliches like the plague. But yeah. whenever I was writing it, I, I didn't want to be embarrassed by it. I didn't want, I wanted to make sure that this is going to be good. And even before I submitted it to the publisher, I did check with my brother, my older brother, Martin, and a couple of friends just to see, just to, to see if, is it any good? So I, I'm not going to, there's no false modesty here. You know, I, I, I kind of think, right, this is good. And this has to be true. I also, because the undertones are still playing, I have to be able to look the, the other four, the other three maybe, uh, in the eye. And, you know, so I can't, Absolutely. I can't build it up and do something that it's not. And at, yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing, you just, you want to do, you, you want to do your best. And, yeah. um, and I did my best. I'm, I'm very pleased to hear that you like it, but it, <laughs> even more pleased to hear <laughs> that Mark Riley liked it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, a, a shit ton of people probably loved it within like, you know, let, let's, let's be honest. You've got such, <laughs> such like, uh, hard diehard fans all around yes. the world yeah. so it's like you know it, it, and I think what is wonderful is it's written in the tone that people would have expected because yeah. I didn't because I, I what I did is I did the um, you know I had it sampled it I bought it on um, Kindle and which mm-hmm. I never ever do I never do I feel bad I don't like Kindle I like you know, no, but can, that that sample thing is very useful in Kindle. Uh, yeah. I have used that, William. I have used that to avoid unnecessary and ill-advised purchases. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like total disappointment. <laughs> exactly. Mate. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I, I think I, I would love to hear an audio version of it as well. I'd love to hear you doing it in your. I started. You know, I started it about three years ago, yeah. and uh, and I never got round to finishing it. But you know. I have recently, I, I was a producer at BBC Radio Foil at Derry, and that was my day job. But, you know, in, in uh, like the old show business advice, I have given up my day job. Okay, so yeah. I have a bit more time. So, yeah, that's one of the things after painting bedrooms and after, you know, <laughs> doing a bit of this and a bit of that. Uh, I think I'm, I must I must do that. I yeah, think you must, because must. If it's it's funny. It, it's so funny. And, and it's... It's got so it's got such a depth to it, like in terms of delivery. That's I think what I mean is it. it I can hear your delivery in it, which uh-huh. really helps. But I think, um, dude, you've got the mic there. Listen to that. <laughs> that mic. That's I mean, true. You, you know what, William? I'm sorry. I will have to yeah. stop this now because I'm going to yeah. now record my book. I'll come back to you in about ten yeah. hours. I was born in Derry in nineteen whatever it was. It yeah. was a windswept August night. <laughs> <laughs> Burr, it was cool. Yeah. It, it was very chilly, and I knew we was going to be a talented bass player. Um, anyway, um, <laughs> no, it's funny. Um, I came to see you guys um, in I don't know when it was nineteen ninety little whatever when you and it must be an early early noughties actually early two thousands yeah yeah because you reformed and it was um, at uh, El where, Sol where was in, it it was in um, Madrid in uh, El Sol oh the wee club. Yeah. And ah uh, yes. Ah that was yeah. that was the first time we were ever in Madrid. So no, I was, really. I, I was visibly excited. Mate, that show is, is that I've not Is that where you are at the moment? Are you still there in Madrid? No. 
No, 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 I'm in Suffolk. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could have, I could have, I should have run along with you on that one. You could have See, lied. I would yeah, have gone I with lied. you. I would have been immediately jealous. <laughs> I would have been immediately jealous. Yeah, I'm not so jealous you now that you're in Suffolk. Yeah. Are um, you near Stowmarket? I kind Which of. Which is Peel country, you know. I know, I know. Well, he's buried in Bury Centre. Well, it was not buried in Bury Centre. His funeral was in Bury, wasn't it? And I was like, because yeah, I've had. I've, I spoke with Fergal the other day. Um, Aye. And and then I spoke with Pat Nevin last night, the football player, and he's oh, yes. f- football player slash DJ. You you, you know him, yes. right? And um, yeah. well, I his, know of him. He's fantastic. In fact, I heard him today talking about the death of the St. John. Yeah, the Liverpool yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been on that, hasn't he? He's a oh, wonderful yeah, he's guy. He's adorable. He's so sweet, quite shy. I've got a little bit of a man crush on him. I've got to be honest with you. Uh, he's, he um, was a fan of that Petrol Emotion as well. Damien would tell me every so often really? just to rub my nose on it. He says, yeah, Pat Nevin, just to come and see us. And Damien <laughs> and John, both big Chelsea fans, so they were absolutely in awe of him, you know. Yeah, for sure. But John's name, um, John Peel's name keeps coming up. Mm-hmm. And um, I've got, yeah, I've got a loose uh, family tie with him. Like we're loosely um, related. Oh. It's like some really weird way. Um, Ravenscroft. But, yeah, Ravenscroft. That's the one. Yeah. And um, it's, it's on my grandmother's side. And it's and so there's kind of always been this thing, you know, if you've got any in a family, you know what it's like. You've got any kind of seed of fame in another part of the family. S- cousins 16 times removed, you know. Um, oh, wow. Remember, you've got that bit of fame there. But um, fuck me, well, we, we were talking about John Peel and now I've completely lost my mind. Only oh, we were talking about Berry, St. Edmund's, Stowmarket and Madrid. You're in Suffolk, Suffolk, yeah. Yeah, and Madrid. So I came to see you, I took my, my girlfriend at the time for her 21st birthday. She was a, a massive Undertones fan and I was, I was crapping myself because it was the first time I've ever booked a tickets to go a, a, abroad and see a gig, let alone yeah. a, a little cool little venue. And I, oh man, we were there about eight hours before the gig. <laughs> before like, we were? Yeah, exactly. And then it was just such an electric atmosphere. Like, do you, how much, what, they, what I mean, I know it's hard to recall that gig. It's probably 20, like, I don't know, 15 years ago. But those those gigs, um, when you reformed, what were they mm-hmm. What were they like? What was the, what was the like, the, um, I don't know what you'd call it, the people's reaction, like? Um, well, an audience, it's, this sounds very grand, an audience is made up of many different people. And mm. there were people there, well, maybe not so much Madrid because, you know, we didn't know any of them. But whenever we did reform, there were some people who we knew would have liked us. But then there was always the people that probably would have reflected what we thought ourselves as in, is this going to be any good? You know, um, there was, we realised it was a bit of a risk, you know, because we reformed and we didn't ask Fergal because we knew it wouldn't work. So we kind of thought, is it any good? And then I think after a while we realised it doesn't matter, which has helped by the fact that it was good. You know, we were getting very good feedback. We got on great with Paul, still do. He's a very funny guy. Uh, it took a bit of time. I think looking back, it took a bit of time for us all to, to sort of to gel, possibly, you know. Mm. Although people who we did not pay said, yeah, you were immediately instantly very tight you just sounded like 
like the record. So people you didn't no, pay, I love that. <laughs> people we did not pay, yeah. yeah. Um, people who we did not owe anything and they did not owe us anything. No, <laughs> it was, I think it was great. It was also, you see, we had done it first in Derry to open a place called the Nerve Centre, which, you know, we would have some loose, some of us would have some loose connections with. And you immediately got the got the feeling that this worked because there were people there who his, his, um, his uh, judgment we, we valued and people there who would have said, listen, guys, this is shite. Don't ever do this again. <laughs> so no one yeah. said that to us. We enjoyed it. And then, you know, we had that kind of, with that run of shows, you see, this sounds really pathetic. We had never been in Spain before as a band. Yeah. So whatever we played, I can't remember if Madrid was the first place we played, but whenever we got an offer in the 21st century to play a couple of shows in, you know, Madrid and Barcelona, yeah. I can't remember where else, but we were like, oh, this is great. We were going to Spain <laughs> to play yeah. in a band. Now, I yeah. had been to Spain before in holiday, but being been in in Spain and people there liked and loved the undertones it was just absolutely fantastic you know and same we went to we played in Italy and we'd never been in Italy with a band before we played in Japan we'd never been in Japan Australia we'd never been in Australia so um it's you know yeah it's I've I've often used the old joke I says the undertones aren't we're not so much a band we're really a travel agency for over 50 <laughs> like saga holidays right for sure man like yeah you've got to you've got to use the undertones ticket yeah but it's very it's very shallow but you know that you have to enjoy what you're doing and part of enjoying what you're doing is going to places you know even suffolk uh we, we played <laughs> and we played in Bury and Edmonds a couple of years ago okay, and yeah i i love Bury and Edmonds over by the abbey and the fact that Mate. there's a cathedral and an abbey, it's like, this is like Rome, the, the Rome of England, you know, big, <laughs> come back, big churches come back. everywhere. Yeah. I love that. And uh, the apex, we played in the apex in Bury St. Edmonds. I love that. And I love the fact as well, it was near Christmas and outside there was, there was some kind of, out in the street, there was some kind of dummy, like those animals there as a geese or something behind some wooden <laughs> fence. I thought, this is really good. <laughs> I love Bury St. Edmunds. And in fact, I love the fact as well, the church is called St. Edmundsbury. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do. You know, and I felt really smart going, oh, yeah, St. Yeah. Edmundsbury, Bury St. Yeah. Edmunds. This is great. <laughs> there you go. It's a long answer to a short question. That's, that's good, mate. <laughs> how, how much more saintly could this be? The answer is none. Yeah. None more saintly. No. No. Um, it's holy ground. But like it's it's so cool because we're like you know those gigs. Um, I mean, I feel, yeah, it's funny. The first time I saw you was in Spain, but it was just um, it was cool to just. And I, obviously, loads of people have done this. You know, you go to you go abroad, you see one of your favorite bands, and all the all the crowd there are you know Spanish, whatever, and they're all singing along to your songs. Yeah. It's like <laughs> oh wow, this is this is weird. What? Well, hang on, like we're in a, hang on, we're in a different country here. Something something. Yeah. It's great, but something. Something's telling me that, and and then you suddenly go. This is even more special. This is this is really wow. This is this is seeing music in a different country and how getting firsthand, I don't know, knowledge or uh, I don't know, experience of what music does to people worldwide yeah. across language barriers. And like your songs are just so damn fun. 
I presume that when you first got back into the rehearsal studio, maybe it was a bit rusty at first, what have you, but was it like, what was the vibe like when you got back into the rehearsal studio after like years, years apart? Uh, it was great. It was really good because we found ourselves telling the same jokes that we would have told, you know, 17 years <laughs> earlier. Uh, yeah. We hadn't, we had, we had kept touch a little, you know, it's not like there was, and also there was no, well, apart from the Fergal singer thing, there was no, uh, no animosity or anything, you know, so hmm. there was a bit of crack about it. There was no pressure on it either. It was, we got back together because we could, because John and Damien um, had finished with the Petrels. Uh, so, you know, we were go, going along with it, thinking that we might do about maybe two or three shows, but then the crack was great. And yeah. We 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 played the songs. We we pick up another song. We you know from our old from our repertoire, and we say right, come back next week, and we learn again. You know, I know a girl and tearproof or something, and we go back to it and we play it, and we think, oh, this is great. And we also, I think, for myself as well, I I kind of thought that I in the interim had learned that the harder you hit a bass string, the better it sounds. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is a great realization to me it's, oh right just thump it and you know and don't try and be delicate in any way uh so the the, the atmosphere was great once as well we once we we got uh paul and you see we we got we committed to to playing in the nerve center yeah. and we didn't we didn't have the singer but then we got paul but we didn't try out paul you know <laughs> so we we had he came along to to the couple of rehearsals we all knew him you know, we, I, I, I knew him and John knew him. We all got on well. Billy especially knew him very well. And yeah. uh, we kind of, it was only afterwards that I realised, what if he had been absolutely terrible? What <laughs> if he just didn't work? We were committed. We would have had to endure a show in the Nerve Centre with a singer that was no good. So, so it was lucky just, that we, just, we only got him. literally just said, well, we, he'll do sort of thing. Yeah. We kind of thought that he we, he used to be in a band with Billy, so we knew that he could hold the tune. Okay. And we we gathered. We knew that he he's, he's about eight years younger than, than the rest of us, you know. Yeah. And he we gathered that he knew the band. We also knew he was I knew he was super smart, uh, and he great history of you know great knowledge of, of music history. Big David Bowie fan, huge Beatles fan, and all that. So yeah. he, he he had all those things, and we liked them, but we. If we had no plan B, if if Paul hadn't agreed and if Paul hadn't sounded good, it wouldn't have happened. We were never we weren't going to look for another singer. You know, you weren't going to go. Christ, let's get some let's get some guy from Suffolk. You know, <laughs> we I had to get, done it, mate. We had to get somebody. Oh, <laughs> now you, now you tell us. We we had to get somebody from Derry who yeah who knew who, who knew our accent, who knew our terms of reference in terms of of uh, of jokes, so who knew our you know. He, he knows, he knows that we have the same dairy jokes and the same dairy things. So yeah. it worked out well, you know, it worked out well in the end, but it, it could have been a, a one night, not a one night wonder, a one night experience, you know? Yeah. I've, I've been in that situation before in bands. Like you talk and talk and talk about the guy that's coming in <laughs> or, and stuff. And then you don't, it's a dream. You don't know talk. what it's going to be like. Right. And then, yeah. God, it backfired so badly. Oh, did like, it, I was going to ask you, did it back, was it was it an, an experience and not a pleasure? Well, I I've been, I was trying to find a drummer for Yonks absolutely yeah. ages, and we auditioned so many drummers. And online, they'd have these really great, I don't know what, like demos 
And then they they come in there and they'd be horrific, like comically bad. So we just have this uh, thing where if I start playing Voodoo Child, that means it, it, it's over, it's done. Like, and we're just going to have a blues jam <laughs> and it's just done. Yeah. Because we're like sort of punk pop rock anyway. So it was yeah. like, what what's, what are they playing Voodoo Child for? And then we just start fucking just, not, just having a beer or two and just going, it's not going to happen. So we just gave up. But thank God Paul worked out. Oh my yes. God. I know. Thank God. Well, God. it wouldn't have been... It, it would have been one night of horror. It wouldn't have been, uh, our, you know, lives ruined. You know, it would have been like one of those, do you remember the undertones? They had the reform for a show in Derry years later. They didn't yeah. Fergal. No, there's some other guy. No, nah, it wasn't great. <laughs> you know, uh, so that would have been all right. Yeah. We, we would have, we could have still, you know, held our heads high there. Yeah. What, so that, what band, this is a really embarrassing thing now, William. Yeah. I didn't Google you to see if you were in a well, band. Were, were you in a band? Yeah, nothing, nothing like you know. Did you make records? No, no, nothing, nothing noteworthy. I was in a Did couple you make of records. Bands. Yeah, a, a band called the DIY Cravings, but that was like back in God knows two thousand two, two thousand three. Right, right. That's and, modern. And then, it's modern, mate. It's modern. <laughs> in my world, that's modern. Yeah, I mean, honestly, God, it's like the Strokes. I know, but the Strokes to me are the new band. Like, and I'm <laughs> thirty nine. Yeah. Like. Yeah. <laughs> They look like a, they're 20 years old, 20 years since the first LP. Still oh, sounds so great, but it's 20 it, years. But it does make you think, you know, when does that, when does that stop? Like, when does the, I don't think it ever does, the, the amazement of, of people that are younger than you coming through again. Yeah. You go, but they're so, they're so young. I mean, but when yeah, you guys got going, you were like, tw like five years old on the stage. <laughs> you were tiny. You were like, we were, you were younger we than the Arctic even... Monkeys. We weren't even born. We were actually, right. our mothers had to come, our mothers had to carry yes. us on in their bellies, in their pregnant bellies. Now, I exactly. was, whenever, teen, whenever Teenage Kicks came out, I was, I just turned 19. But God. that was, you know, that's not that young, you know. But uh, when, but previous to that, you know, when the band formed, you were. Oh, well, yes, 15. Whenever we started, 15. I was like 15, but we were no good. Yeah. But the, right. We, we were good. We started getting good in January 77. So mm -hmm. I would have been 17. Damien yeah. would have been just turning 16. And where, so, did you, where did you guys meet? Uh, well, I was at school with uh, with, with Vincent O'Neill, who's John's brother, John's younger brother, Damien's older brother. And originally Vincent was in the band, you know. So that's how I, I, I started. I was 15 and I started hanging around with Vinny. And they knew Billy because they lived in the same street. And um, they were always sort of talking about music, you know. So that's kind of how we met kind of school and not having any other friends you know yeah. um we all lived in the same well this the simple answer is we all lived in the same part of a fairly small city so that's that's what it was you know we were and we were i've googled it i've oh, done yeah. the google i've done the google maps of the the uh, road you grew the the band the band used to sort of rehearse in and stuff um yes beachwood avenue for beachwood avenue. House and craigan street that was sims's yeah. place yeah and yeah, like you're you're literally you're you're talking two minutes walk, you know, you can, from Beechwood Avenue to to uh, Sims's shed where we, we yeah. played, and then another five minutes walk up to Billy's house, and from Billy's house it's another five minutes walk to Fergal's house. So yeah, throw a mattress over the lot of you. It's amazing, but it's, it's funny because what you spell out in the in the book um, is that you know you you were very much a one of a kind band in the area. There wasn't an awful mm. lot of. Uh, punk rock in in Derry at the time but where when you were like 
15 16 mm-hmm. what was like what were your like what were the schoolmates saying to you what were the, your your kind of um your particular love of music was it was it did it stand out an awful lot uh, the love of music would have been record based well you know because like there was we never went to see bands because no bands came to yeah. Derry so we had a sort of I think we had a great vision of what music was because we our experience of music wasn't like a live band it was records you know, it was great records it was uh, you know David Bowie records and Gary Glitter records and T-Rex and the Beatles and all that um, we in my class uh, Vincent Vincent was in my class and there was maybe one other person that may have talked about music, but Vinny and I, we walked, we walked to school together and that's when all the big conversations were, were, you know, about, about the new glitter band single and about, you know, sweet and the the 16, you know, the sweet status quo. Well, we didn't like status quo at the time because everybody liked status quo. So we kind of went, we don't like no, well, quickly we, we, (laughs) We realized how great they were, and now I can see how brilliant they were. But they yeah. were so popular in Derry that we were trying to be different by not liking status quo, <laughs> cutting off your nose to spite your face, you know. I so love that. we, we, but we would have been that kind of, you know, we were very sort of self, self-contained group of friends. Um, that John, from as long as I know John, he he used to buy the NME. And yeah. he he had to have it on special order because you know not many shops would have carried the copy of the NME. So he got that every week. So that he he read that and that informed him as well as listening to John Peel. And then we read it after John read the NME. Then we would read it too, you know. <laughs> and that still sticks in my head. Like, you know the, those yeah. names: Charles Charmery, Nick Kent, and so on. And you know that. The, the covers I started buying it then come the start of 77 I started buying it too on, on my way yeah. to school I went to a, like a, a local sort of technical college and that was in the center of town and there was a shop there who had it every Thursday if you were lucky or Friday usually and I started buying it too I was about you know, 17 18 and that I, I kept them all and I still have some copies you know that really was indoctrination we're so lucky to I, I was right at the end of that when they stopped because the enemy with the rock and roll revolution as it was called in, in the early noughties when the enemy had a huge surge in in membership you know um, yeah. and then people were just but that was the last time like you know for me anyway and I think a lot of people would have felt that excitement so I, when you were talking about the enemy you know feeling that coffee in your hand the excitement the visceral yeah. feeling of like fucking hell something's happening for you guys obviously mm. it was something was happening across a sea for me it was happening mm. just up the, up the train tracks but like but even still like in terms of being able to get on stage to be get to review to you know reviewed by an enemy um journalist or something was was like being on mars anyway but like can you remember that feeling of of an enemy the enemy in your hand and that the electricity oh yeah the the yeah. the the old cliche, the the ink on your fingers and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And the, I still get a, a thrill whenever I think of, you know, you didn't, for obvious reasons, you didn't know what the front cover looked like until the front cover was there. And in 77, 78, 79, they were fantastic front covers because they brilliant photographers, Jill Fromnowski, Penny Smith, Chalky mm-hmm. Davis and all that. And there was, especially in 77 with punk happening, Whenever I started buying it, I think it was maybe Eddie and the Hot Rods were in the front cover. Then the Damned, 
you know, the damned and like with uh, Dave Vanian with the slab of meat in his face. The clash, famous clash photograph where uh, Paul Simonon and Joe Strummer and Mick Jones were all kind of looking at each other. It's like a, almost like, like a triangle or triptych, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's that and the jam on the front. I remember the jam whenever they, you know, the famous quote from Paul Weller, like, you know, um, I'll, I'll probably vote Tory at the next election, you know. Yeah. And, and all that. I knew what he was he was at. He was just rebelling against the, the you know, the, the crowd. So yeah. I, I, I can still get that thrill from from just imagining holding the enemy. And then the great thing then, whenever we went to London, whenever we signed the deal with, with Sire, we went to London and we started, you know, making records in London. In London, they had the enemy on a Wednesday. And that was, <laughs> yeah. that was just the best thing ever in my head. Yeah. On a Wednesday? Yeah. We have to wait until Friday. So that's, <laughs> that, you know, that's, love of of the, the the paper still there and that excitement and the great thing as well the fact that we were so isolated from it we we believed everything in it right which was great you know we thought oh, if they said a band was great they said generation x were brilliant yeah those were brilliant. even if you hadn't heard them we read about yeah, the yeah. before you heard them and that was absolutely a brilliant thing to, to have Part of the club you know, right Absolutely. And, you yeah. know, no one was going to spoil it on you by saying, yeah. actually, they're shit. You know, no one was on Twitter saying, well, I went to see them and they were crap. It was, it was like the Bible. You know, you believed every word God, that you read in the Bible. Devoured. Even though it ain't necessarily so. Yeah. But even for a dyslexic like me, I, I found it hard. I find it hard to read most things, but I would read cover to cover enemy and just be yeah. like totally... I, I sometimes a bit overwhelmed by the cool. Do you know what I mean? Like that's, that, I think that's a, I'm a, I think that's a legit thing to say. It was just the definition of cool. I mean, obviously some of it was like, you like you touched on there. Maybe, maybe not, it wasn't completely accurate, but it was, um, yeah, that vibe of cool. Well, but yes, but it's, it's like, you're a fan of it and it must be strange. I don't know if anyone would be as much a fan of, like a newspaper or a music paper or a website, you were almost as much a fan of the of the enemy as you were of the music. Mm. You know, it was yeah. like they were they were almost a band on their own. I remember yeah, as well. Yeah, this, yeah. You know, whenever you went to London and you, I saw the name Longacre, and I went, "Yeah, that's that's the street that the enemy were on." You know, it's like someone visiting Abbey Road or you know, oh, or, or Muscle Shoals Studios. You were like. Oh, that's where the the magic that's where yeah Yeah. what what? so and then you discover one of them's tony parsons and you (laughs) (laughs) that's all that's unfair you know what i mean mate i know exactly what you mean um what's so when does it happen that you go like you're kicking around in your mate's back garage Mm. like insulated with like a polystyrene or what have you fire hazard Um, Right. When did you start thinking, shit, this isn't bad. Like we're, we're getting good here. We've got something going. And at summer 1978, the summer of 1978, we were playing regularly in the Casbah and in another pub just down the, the street, around the street. And also it was summer. That mm. kind of, there's something about playing in, in the, the when, whenever it's not even dark outside. And yeah. afterwards, you can stand outside the bar, and you're at friends there, and you know you went over and bought a burger, and 
it was great. You hung around and people were coming, not hundreds, not even dozens of people, but, you know, you would have had about five or six people who we now knew because they went to see us. Right. And we were, we had a good mix of our own songs and we were learning new songs all the time, new cover versions. You know, we were doing most of Nuggets. We were doing most of the New York Dolls LP. We were doing the Stooges and we were doing T-Rex. We were doing glitter band songs. And that was a great sort of great summer to have. And in the middle of that summer, we made Teenage Kicks. And that, we didn't realize it was going to be such a big deal. Uh, and, you know, I don't even... I don't think we even had a tape of it or anything like that. You know, we went up and we made it and we came back a couple of days later and we mixed it in Belfast, which is like 70, 75 miles away. So it's a, a couple of hours in the back of a van. So there was no talk of it then, you know, we, we couldn't sort of play it. And it wasn't until it came out in September when we got a physical copy that we we played it. And I say in the book, we didn't actually think it was that great. Yeah, we thought it yeah, wasn't, you know, and because in our head, obviously, <laughs> it was going to be, you know, uh, anarchy in the UK or something. Yeah, and right, then whenever exactly. we whenever we played it on O'Neill's, you know, not very good record player, it was, uh, but that changed within a couple of days because by then John Peel had had a copy, he played it, and he says this is great, and then we just thought, whoa, this is this is just your dream come true. John Peel, sure. who we listened to, he loves this record. And then we got a phone call from Sire Records and a couple of other record companies. And then a fella from Sire Records, a fella called Paul McNally, he came over to see us play in the Casba. And then we signed the deal. And, you know, it was, that's, it was, it wasn't really until, it wasn't really until we were really good that we realized that we were any good. Maybe that's the way to say it. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I take that. But I think that, that is kind of like, um, I think that speaks to the tone of the book and it speaks to the tone of who you guys were. I think it's like, you were so fucking young. Like, you didn't realise what you had, perhaps. Was there an element of that? Possibly so, yeah. yeah. Possibly so. It, so and when we were holding ourselves to very high standards as well. You know, we were thinking, we weren't as, I remember someone came along, I think I mentioned this in the book too. We were playing... I think it was early 1978, we were playing in the Casper, and somebody came along and says, yeah, I, I, I was in England. These, these may have been a student, but this, this guy says, I was in England and I saw Generation X and you were better than Generation X. And we were like, what do you mean? How on earth could we be better than Generation X? Because, you know, we, re well, Ready, Steady, Go is one of my favourite singles and, uh, and all that, yeah. but we, we thought, it can't be as good as that. You know, yeah. and then that that made us even better. The fact that we didn't think this is we are we are so good, we are absolutely brilliant. We're going to just conquer <laughs> the world. We didn't think we were very good, so you tried to be even better. Lucky, you, you know, we were that you mentioned the NME and reviewing it. No one reviewed us, mm. which is brilliant too. You can it means like you can just go in this almost this wee back room and just play and play and play and play until you're really good and then you come out the front door and you are good 
Yeah, that's so important, isn't it? I think that's, I've always, I just mm. like thinking about if my daughters were ever musical, that would be my first bit of advice because I didn't do that when I was in bands. I was always about how 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 soon can we gig? How soon can we get out there and get a record deal? It's like, are you yeah. crazy? Like, your music's not any good, mate, you know? Yeah. It's like, but it, it's... um. It's really something because I, I've spoken like with Fergal a little bit about um, the Good Vibrations uh, film and mm. stuff, and like that that moment um, when is it Terry Hooley, isn't it? He he his um, teenage kicks for the first time. Obviously, that's very cinematic. I don't expect mm. that. I don't know whether that happened or not, and I I don't know how much of that to believe. But I mean. Because clearly you didn't really rate it to start with. No, in the first place, I, I, so. Terry didn't either. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's, Terry did either. You know, yeah. he had made a, a couple of he he didn't know us. You know, we we had met him. Uh, and like uh, the famous story that we sent the demo tape, or a friend of ours who knew Terry took a demo tape, not a very good demo tape, admittedly, but he took it up to Terry, and Terry never even listened to it. Terry says, "Yeah, yeah, I, no, I'll, I will listen to it." And in the end, up Terry says, "Listen, tell them to come up." and make the record and he still hadn't heard it which is a great you know that's a, that's a great sort of credit to him that's of great credit to him uh that he just decided yeah give this these guys give these guys a a chance um no as i say we weren't kind of we didn't come home after recording it and think this is great this is i think this is going to be one of the best records of all time uh yeah, terry yeah. certainly didn't either you know but that's a very that would be a very boring film <laughs> you know, you know yeah, like, exactly like it's, it's, uh, the guys get to go you know so they they did have to take some uh some liberties with the, the story you know is and it, uh that's yeah which is i always i always think that it, it's it's an, it's an it's an amazing moment in a film i love i love that film and it you know it doesn't really bother me that it didn't happen. It's just one of those things no, where I thought no, if I ever get to speak to an undertone, I'm going to fucking ask them whether that's BS or not. And uh, doesn't, I'm, I'm 39. I can live with the reality, you know, you can, you can juggle those two. You can, you can have reality in one hand and you can have a great story in the other and, and exactly. so on. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's funny because I, I, um, I know one of the writers, a uh, fellow called Glenn Patterson mm-hmm. and Glenn, he said to me, a couple of years before it came out, he said, you know, we have to kind of change some of the, you know, some of the story, you know, to make it work. And I says, that's fine, Glenn, you know, <laughs> mentally thinking, I'll never watch it. I don't care, you know, where you go. Because <laughs> last thing I want to see is a film about the undertones, you know, or a film yeah. in which the undertones feature. So, yeah, we, I, I knew that was going to happen and, and so mm. on. But, you know, that's that's the way it is. But it didn't, it did mean that I actually didn't watch it until... Yeah. I didn't see it until I bought a DVD of it from Terry. Yeah. <laughs> then really? I took it home and I saw it. Everyone had, everyone had seen it and, and they said it was great and all that, but I didn't want to sort of burst the bubbles and say, well, did you see that? But that didn't happen. You know, you don't want to be one of those people that kind of point out the flaws. <laughs> point out the flaws in Star Wars, you know? <laughs> just it's a bit far-fetched. Just, right. Just sit there and maybe just, mm, okay. Well, I mean, I get I'll to just, be a legend, so. Yes. Yeah. yeah I, Shut up and know your place. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's such a great film, but like in terms of because there are things that um, what what I love about the undertones and you know doing finding out about you guys over the years um, and because obviously I didn't just I've read your book obviously but I knew quite a lot about you guys obviously um, prior to the book so this was really cool so it's a different layer um, 
and it was a lot more warmth and character so it wasn't just cold hard facts but whenever I used to see you guys um, the Ramones undertones etc the clash I always used to think oh man that would have been a good gig you know or what was it like hanging out with the undertones and the fucking Ramones <laughs> do you know what I mean it was just for me, just to be a fly on the wall. But I know you guys weren't really into... You guys no. were very, very, very down to earth. So you guys probably didn't even do all that much, like... Not sucking up, but, like, going going out of your way to chat with these people. But I know you revered the Ramones a lot. What was it like when you yeah. first met them? Um, it was very strange because I, I was kind of very shy and very embarrassed. And what do you say, you know? Mm. I was just so happy to be in the same room as them. Yeah. Uh and, you know, we, we, we did meet and we had a photograph taken, but I didn't, back in those days, I suppose you didn't take as many photographs as you do now, but I, I didn't have a photograph of me with, you know, Didi, with my arm around Didi and so on, because you would have, you, you wouldn't want to impose yourself, you know? Yeah. I would, you would hate, and it has happened a couple of times, can't even remember with who, but there, there are, have been a couple of times when you kind of, you know, you're really excited to see somebody and you allow that to happen. You go, ah, hello. And you just know that the other person's really being polite. And you go, yeah, thumbs up and all that, you know. And yeah, I didn't, I, we, we, I, I speaking for myself, I can't speak for the rest of them, but I would have kind of, I would have done that and I would have preempted that by hmm. not being cool, but just sort of, you know, don't go over and gush, you know. I did do right. it though with, Paul, I did do it with Paul Weller, 1978. And yeah. I'm glad I did. I'm glad of that because like he 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 was very genuine and he had heard of us. It was just whenever, funny enough, it was after our Ramon show. Whenever Fergal and I were in London to yeah. sign the deal with with uh, with Sire, and I met Paul Weller, and I thought that was you know I really I'm I'm glad I overcame my natural kind of reticence and I mm. went and says hello. I'm in a band called the Undertones and all that, and he, he hadn't heard of us, but he was very polite. And then a couple of years later. We were in uh, America, 1980 it was, we were in America, and he actually phoned me. I don't know how he found out what hotel we were in, but he yeah. phoned, and it was in the morning, and he says, you know, he says, uh, we're doing the TV show, and uh, obviously in Los Angeles, where we all are. Yeah. Says, he says, do you want to go down? Now, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> the whole band went down. We didn't go in and sort of hang out backstage and so on, but we were in the audience whenever the Jam were on, were doing a TV show in Los Angeles in July 1980, and mm. they played Start, and we I, we hadn't heard Start, and it was oh, just okay. they played it live in the studio. It wasn't back on track or anything, and this is like this is absolutely brilliant. So that's one of my few brushes with a famous person, and I'm really glad I did it because it. I think it probably made more of an impression mm. on me than if I had gone along or tried to blag my way into every show and go backstage and drink beers with people. Mm. I've, I've done it sparingly and it was absolutely, absolutely brilliant. But like fame's a funny one because it's quite a twisted, warped um, mm. sack of shit. But like in terms of like what I, I would presume, like what I would sort of be more attracted to is is creating chemistry and electricity on stage um and having that dual talk which obviously you would probably agree with what what's the i mean like can you remember it's hard to remember gigs specific gigs i know it's really hard some people just don't but i'm a good liar but i'm a good liar but man. just lie like in good vibrations mate okay um, yes 
when 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 do you think you were was the best era or maybe the best time that you were creating the most chemistry and the most electricity on stage really affecting the crowd and people um possibly 1980 whenever we had um a full year of pop stardom and we were playing places like hammersmith palais Mm. Uh, but I actually, I always value the chemistry and the reaction from within the band. You know, obviously you love it whenever a crowd cheers and so on. But yeah. I, my my thing is always that if I can, you know, if the rest of them are laughing, if I can make the rest of them laugh because of a joke that I told on stage, yeah. that's, that's the brilliant thing for me. Or, you know, if you do a cover version and this is great and you're looking around it, so this is very funny, you know. <laughs> uh, we, used do, we used to do Rock and Roll by Gary Glitter. That was our encore yeah. for, for a while. We did T-Rex songs. And then you're, you're playing them and you're going, this is really good, isn't it? Ah, this is brilliant. Ah, that was great. And that's the, I, I would say 1980. By 1981, we had got a little, um, well, the songs were different. The songs, the songs didn't lend themselves as easily to being sort of bashed out uh, on a stage so with guitars. The, mm. They were a bit, you know, some people love the the third LP, Positive Touch. Yeah, they we we had developed, which is absolutely right for us to do. You know, it was mm. the natural thing for us to do, and it was the, the right yeah. thing for us to do. And then we we changed then slightly towards eighty two, eighty three, with uh-huh. uh, slightly slight for us, slightly more elaborate songs. Not elaborate for other bands, but elaborate for us. But I. That's kind of whenever I realized that it wasn't like you're just switching on, uh, you know, switching on a cooker. You know, it, it, this was kind of you had to do something different. You had to try harder. And it just didn't it didn't rattle along the way we had done in 1980. So I would I would say I would say, yeah, summer in 1980, whenever we yeah. had we had teenage kicks, you know, we, we had that. We had Jimmy Jimmy. We had My Perfect Cousin, which was a hit that year. Hit, yeah. And you know we had that was this, we uh, were and then we went to America and, and we we just we were enjoying ourselves really so nineteen eighty I would say yeah <clears throat> I told I was telling Fergal the other day that I that I named a band one of my bands the Jump Pilots after Jump Boys I don't I think I wanted to mix some kind of like nostalgic Second World War reference to an undertone song Pilots oh, yeah. and Jump yeah. yeah anyway horror <laughs> troopers. Right. Yeah. I just, I just we're we're, from, we're from Derry. <laughs> there are con- <laughs> there are connotations there. That maybe maybe right. <laughs> yeah, that maybe he thought that all down so well. Maybe yeah. He maybe he um, but like it, the musical, the sound of the band. How hard it was that, and how when it when it didn't sort of work. I think mm. or not work. It did work, but I mean in terms of the the, the reception, it didn't yeah. sort of it didn't create well, from as much. from that. From my perspective, because you know that in the band, John would have been the leader of the band in terms of what music we do and where we go, because he writes the songs, because he wrote the songs. Damien as well, he would have had because they were very close, so they they were sort of coming from the same place. Um, so, from my perspective, it was that we had a drop off in in uh, in records. Um, as I said, hypnotized was uh, was that sold well. That was uh, kind of sounded like a bit like the first LP, slightly different, but 
uh, that was kind of following on a natural progression. The next one, uh, positive touch. They the the records were different, not as good or better. I don't know, but they were different and they weren't as instantly appealing. So once that happens, once you you don't your record doesn't get as high uh, as the last one, and the one after that doesn't get as high as the one just before that. That kind of that that has an effect on you, even though you're not you're not the type of band that lives or dies on your chart position. But whenever something's going really well, and whenever you're getting on all these TV shows, and you know, and you're having top ten hits, whenever you don't have them, a wee bit of you, a bit of the confidence goes. And after yeah. that, yeah, after that, year, because we were also growing up a bit, and some of mm. us got married, so you weren't hanging out as much together, mm. you know, uh, and that you know that had something to do with it as well. And also, back in those days, bands had a shelf life. Mm, you know, yeah. bands bands broke up. What what happens now is that bands stop, but they don't actually break up. They stop for a yeah. while and they get back together, maybe, or you know, start doing other stuff after a couple of years. That's assuming mm. a band makes enough money to pay a wage. Um, right, so yeah. we didn't. That wasn't part of our thing. And then people grew grew apart. Um, we grew apart from Fergal. And he he knew that he would do better if he didn't have to have four other people agree with him. Yeah. Uh, so he and also you know the, the the thing about a singer is the singer's the first person that people know, no matter yes. who writes yeah. the songs. Yeah. Under Jones, Fergal Sherkey singer. So he then he then was able to make records with Madness and with Vince Clark. And then records on his own, and he had great success, you know, because uh, he's yeah. a great singer. Um, so mm. that's that's the kind of I suspect that's the dynamic in most bands. Now the undertones didn't make that much money, so that thing, a sire. That, that <laughs> well, that, you know, people didn't buy as many records. That actually has has something to do with it as well, because if you are if you have to, you know make a living out of being in a band you can't kind of take a year off unless you're really su- successful but with a lot yeah. of money you know once we stopped that's that was our you know uh, 400 pound a month we should be paid it was a good money in 1980 1982 but once we stopped that wage stopped and then yeah. you start doubting and and you, you try different things you can't just sit in the house and take the take the long view you have to do something now you know so in some ways, that's very healthy. You know, it means yeah. like, right, are you in the band? You're not in the band now. Do something else. I'm glad mm. it, worked, it worked well for me because I then, I, you know, I, I was a bicycle courier after after the band. In fact, after the undertones, Damien and I tried to start another band and it was terrible. It just didn't <laughs> yeah. work because because we didn't do that thing of give it six months and then yeah. get back together again. We immediately tried to do, do something else, tried to write something. Didn't it is, work. It is... The, it, and so Damien joined the Petrels. Damien joined that Petrol Motion, which yeah. is great because John, John had gone back. Uh, John stayed in Derry, and he started that Petrol Motion with Raymond Gorman, and that was a smart move because John kind of changed as well. He he, he reverted back to more direct guitar uh, songs than mm. than we were doing in the Center Pride, and he wrote some fantastic songs, you know, with yeah. with the Petrels. 
And that worked well. And so he continued with that. Fergal continued with the pop stuff and mm. with great success. And so us stopping was good. I always say that, you know, I, I realized that being in the undertones uh, meant that it's great to be in a band if the band's great. But if yeah. the band's not great, it's terrible being in a band and struggling and trying to get something in your heart's not in. So I, I very quickly got out of it, you know, which is so what, a blessing. When, when it was over, what did you, you were, you were a bicycle. 84. Oh, 84, 84, spring 84 until about September 85. Yeah. And Crossbar Couriers based in Dean Street in Soho. It was fantastic. I so what? It. Did, but that's only for like a, what, I mean, you you were fine with it. You didn't look back and you go, oh my God, I want that life back. What's no, happened? No, because I, I knew my place and that's, yeah. that's a bit slightly facetious. I knew that I wasn't a songwriter. I could write some songs, but I wasn't a songwriter. I knew as well that I wasn't, and I still say this, I'm not really a musician. I play in a band. Yeah. I wouldn't say I'm a musician because I would be useless in any other band. You know, <laughs> I would just, not worth it. Uh, so I I kind of realized, right, get a job. And yeah. then I came back to Derry. And, and then I got a job. Uh, what, did you, what did you do? Uh, well, when I first came back to Derry, I, I went back to school. Uh, I was going to do A-levels, which I had failed because of the undertones yeah. <laughs> about five yeah. years before. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But that, I only did a year of that. And then um, I kind of, I, my brother knew somebody who worked at a radio station. And I went and did little bits and pieces in the radio station. And then I did more pieces. And then I, I presented a couple of programs. And then I got a job yeah. as producer. So I was there from um, from 86 and in, in, in Radio Foil '86 until until Christmas just passed. So oh I, had, I had like wow thirty four years, you know. Jeez, um, yeah. That is, that but is but I, I'm very lucky because, but I I'm lucky, but I also I kind of I can don't want to congratulate myself, but I realized that I, I made the right choice by not trying to pursue a career in music because I I wouldn't be cut out for it, you know. I know people who can have careers. I'm not one of them. But you didn't also, this, I mean, you didn't have too much trouble with drugs and alcohol. So that's kind of a massive <laughs> no, not plus at all. as well. You see, so that's like, we, we were, we thought punk rock was anti-drugs, yeah. to be fair. You know, we thought punk, well, not the, you know, n there was no major drug scene in Derry in 77. There was the, the odd bit of uh, cannabis smoked in the Casbah. Yeah. But we, it just wasn't in our, in our, in our, you know, line of fire. Like we, and we would have drunk some, but rarely got drunk, yeah. you know, I, so that kind of helped as well. None of us died of a drug overdose, thankfully. Well, it's, it's, it, but that's the thing is, that's what I love about you. It's, it's a very, it's a teenage, how many, how many countless bands. You couldn't, you couldn't, oh, I know. simply couldn't, the billions of bands that have been screwed by record labels but yeah we were, we were very lucky though and, and i do say this in the book that we got a, a manager called andy ferguson who yeah. sorted it out and got us a, a good decent deal and got us got us deals you know yeah. so he, he he managed to keep us uh keep us together because i'm sure if we hadn't we, we would have broken up you know we would have realized yeah, this sure. is a crap deal and we would have fought and and Abandoned ship, you know. Right. Get that, Mike. <laughs> see you, mate. <laughs> All right, see you later. Cheers. Mate. Bye -bye.